This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. again and a special welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time glad you are able to join us if you've deemed us worthy to <laughs> spend time listening to little old me um, we are going to continue our series today sans a guest again we're hoping to get some guests in again soon it can be a challenge at times i'm thankful for the time that people are able are able to give some time we're not able to get these schedules together and that's okay it's 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 gonna happen uh but i'm gonna go solo again today and what i decided to do today it's almost in a sense i'm building on some things that i touched on last week i know last week i spent time going through job postings and basically auditing a couple of job postings. Uh, We we didn't get into it too deeply. And I talked a lot of, a lot of elements, which is where we are going to piggyback on tonight where I was getting at the, the mindset that people should have when they're seeking a job. And of course, most of what we hear out there has to do with people who are new to UX. And a lot of people are frustrated because they, they can't find that first UX gig or it's really a, a a tough uphill battle. And so I just decided to just sort of stay there a little bit tonight. And I'm going to take a blog post for those of you who've never checked it out. I do write blog posts from time to time and you can go to uxuncensored.medium.com. Yeah, I know medium for the most part, it is a cesspool. I'm willing to say that on the air recorded for people to hear. There are a few people out there who have something to say that does have value, but please know and understand, and I'm repeating something I have said before, usually when you're dealing with a an opinion piece, an editorial, if you will, or someone that's just trying to teach you something, when it involves publishing it so people can tap into it, you, you start to think of the press. And normally when things are published in magazines, or in newspapers, or even when they go on TV, on on a news station, these things are vetted before they go to the masses. When anybody, me included, when something is posted to Medium, all you have to do is type it and click a button, and it's out there. (laughs) So uh, because of that, because the standard checks and balances that exist are not executed, then you get pretty much some of any and everything out there. So there is a lot of that that's going on. I am a qualified individual. uh, And so I can go out here and say different things. I've got the experience. I've got the educational credentials. uh, I've got the acumen, even though we don't have that, that, that check and balance. uh, I I am my checks and balance. And so is anybody else who's qualified to saying anything of value out there, we all check ourselves to make sure that we're saying something that is going to be of benefit to the readers. So just to 
sort of cover that before I before I dive into this a little bit more. But if you go out there to my blog, there is a post, and I'm going to share a lot of what's in that post with you on tonight. And the post that I'm speaking of is called the UX Job Seekers Manifesto. And that blog post was written based on a lot of interactions I've had with people around the world, a lot of things I've seen on social media, a lot of stories that I've heard people tell. And when you're trying to find a job, the thing that's probably the more important <laughs> than what you bring to the table from an experience standpoint is your attitude. And a lot of people don't realize this, that you can lose out when it comes to your candidacy for a job because you simply don't have the attitude that the hiring company is looking for. And, and it's blatantly obvious there's something there that's a red flag. There's something there that they don't like. There's there's something there that that really turns them off. And so for that reason, I know it's really critical. It's really important to help people to understand this because if you don't and you manifest those attitudes and you go in there, oh, you may get all the way to the point of an interview, but if you go to the interview and you have some of the characteristics that I'm going to address, Tonight, some of the characteristics that I talked about last week, that is going to work against you. So let's go down the list, and I'm not going to, to cover the details as you see them on the blog post. I am going to talk about the 15 different guidelines and mindsets that I present in that blog post, plus five bonus items that I want to talk to today. So let's go ahead and dive in as we give you our live version of the UX Job Seekers Manifesto. Number one, so critical for people to understand this, folks, and all of you who are new to UX, you're looking to transition in, you've, you've gone to, to get your master's degree, you've gone to a boot camp, you've done whatever, and you're going, wow, I'm really having a hard time. Uh, and, and before I even get to this list, let, let me tell you this one thing first, is that the a lot of people are selling folks on this whole UX is great, hey, you should go into UX, hey, you should transition in, hey, it's easy. And there's a lot of different things that people are saying. Many of the things they're saying are not true. And in some cases, it's not that they say something that's not true. Sometimes they just don't tell you something that should be known, and that thing, before we, again, get into the list, is that there is a, how can we, how can we say the, the right words to describe this? Um, there is, got it, got the perfect word, the entry-level world of UX, when it comes to applicants, is oversaturated. There are too many people that are at the entry level stage of their UX careers, trying to find their first UX gig, trying to get a position in an arena where there's, I'm gonna get to this in a moment in more detail, but there's really entry levels, no more than 5%. The jobs that are out there, there's less than 5%. Now think about this, Google, graduated somewhere between 300,000 and 400,000 people 
in their program. I'm not going to speak to that. I'm not going to get into that because about rated what I feel about the Google program. Those of you who've listened to me before, you've heard me talk about it. Here's the issue. People went through that program and then they come out. Number one, they think they're certified. I guess I'm getting into a little bit. They, they think they're certified. You're not. They have a certificate of completion. So they think they're certified. Then they think that they're going to get a job right away. They have been sold by someone that UX jobs are plentiful. Entry-level UX jobs are not plentiful. And, and even though you may see UX job postings everywhere, there's this thing called a UX maturity level. And when companies don't have a viable UX maturity level, their hiring is going to be dysfunctional. So you see a lot of job postings, but the vast majority of these companies have low to no UX maturity. So that means that even if they are hiring, it, it, it's going to be a real, uh, it's going to be pretty crazy. Let, let's just leave it at that. So know that when you go through, whether you went to get your master's, whether you, there, there are some undergrad programs in UX at Michigan State has an undergrad experience architecture program, very well put together a program. There, no matter where you went, you may have gone to Cornell and they have a, uh, a, a certificate in UX where you learn about design and you learn about research, very well structured. The people going to the boot camps need to leave that and go to Cornell. Please stop going to boot camps. <laughs> it, it's actually setting you back. Cornell, at least it's accredited. At least you have real teachers. At least they're holding you accountable and they're going to help you to lay a sound foundation for your career, whereas the boot camps don't offer you that. Uh, they're, they're selling people uh, snake oil, basically, and you're not going to be ready. And the people who have gone to boot camps that are successful are not successful because of the boot camps. They're actually successful in spite of the boot camps. So, and if you want to hear more about that, listen to my episodes on the UX bootcamp brouhaha, where I talk about that in a bit more detail. But uh, again, oversaturated, oversaturated. So please know that if, if you're trying to, to get into UX, please if, fall in love with it or, or just make sure you love it because even when you reach my level of seniority, and I've been doing this work now for 27 years, when you reach my level of seniority, finding a, a suitable gig is still tough. So if you think it's hard when you're entry level, that can actually continue throughout your career. So please know and understand that. There are still a lot of people who do not understand what UX is. A lot of people have no idea how to hire for UX. A lot of people hire non-UXers to run their teams. They don't know what they're doing. The, the C-suite doesn't know what UX is. The person running the team doesn't know what UX is. They keep hiring people that don't know what UX is. And then you're rejoicing because you're going to get a job. And yeah, we're happy when we get a job, but you're not going to be happy about some of the stuff you run into in, a, in an environment like that. So please know and understand. Let, let's be level-headed. And so that's the, uh, I guess you can call that an extra bonus item. Let's get to this list. Number one, nobody can promise you a job, folks. People go to boot camps, they take little, they, they get involved with mentors or whatever, different things they do in an attempt to make themselves marketable. And some of the people who teach courses, who offer programs, tell people that they're going to be job ready 
which is like almost like a side note of this. And they say that they promise you that you're going to get a job. Some of them will say you're going to get a job. And if you don't, we'll give you a refund. Folks, the mere fact that they promised you a job is a sign that something is terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. So make sure that you don't have that mindset. If you have the mindset, if you believed that you were going to get a job, that the job was guaranteed for you because you went through a particular educational venue, please no one understand that is not true. So uh, you can leave that by the wayside. Number two, and sort of alluding to this, well, sort of laid a foundation for it a little bit, there is a very low percentage of entry-level UX jobs. Period. Folks just need to know that. It's 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 not booming, not the way that people say it's booming. And a lot of the people who say that UX jobs are booming don't understand. They don't understand the discipline. They don't understand what's going on in the market. Uh, but even though they are few in number, please know and understand that entry-level UX jobs do indeed exist. And, and it's important for you to know and understand this because a lot of people you'll hear, especially a lot of the new UXers, they're, they're upset. Some of them are bitter because everybody says that you know, entry-level jobs, they all say entry-level, and they want you to have three years of experience. Well, remember what I just said a few minutes ago about people who don't know how to, how to manage their UX operation because their UX maturity is low? That includes the companies that, tell, that will post a an entry-level UX position and say that you need three years, okay? That's not even logical. That doesn't even make any sense. Here's the, here's the weird part, the real sad part. A lot of those job postings are copied from other companies that didn't know what they were doing. So there's this dysfunctional job posting thing, which we've addressed already in this series. And so because of that and because of the things that people encounter, they think that, that there are no entry-level jobs and that the ones you see are not really true, they're not marketed correctly. I have personally been involved in hiring entry-level UX people over the course of my career, many of them in the last five to seven years. So I know for a fact that that there are entry-level UX jobs, but I also know that they're just in the minority. So don't allow people to embitter you by trying to get you to believe the rhetoric that there's no entry-level UX jobs. They are, they're just few in number. So go about your job seeking strategy with that in mind and be ready to play the long game. You may have a short wait. Some other people will have a long wait. A lot of times it's weird. It's like you have to be in the right place at the right time and none of us can really plan that. Happened to me in my career. I've seen it happen to other people. I've talked to people and they say, hey, you know what? We've got an entry-level position. Brought the person in, interviewed the person, boom, the person got the job. I've interviewed several people over the course of my career for entry-level positions. So do not think for a moment that they don't exist. They do exist. The question is, can you find them? The other question is, are you patient enough to continue maintaining a proper attitude and putting yourself out there while you're trying to find it. It does exist. They do exist. So don't let these people embitter you because a lot of them are better. And because of that, they're not going to get hired. If, if, if a thousand entry-level UX jobs open up tomorrow, none of those people are going to get these positions because they're going to be bitter. And, and that, that especially the people who believe that 
a job was promised to them, those people have a sense of entitlement. So when these things come up, they come into the interview with a sense of entitlement and the interviewers see that and they want nothing to do with that candidate. So, so gotta, gotta straighten those out. Here's some things to lay aside again. Number three, please know and understand that getting a job is indeed a competition. When you are trying to get a UX job, that's any job for that matter, there are other people being considered for that job. There are other people who applied for that job. There are other people who interviewed or will be interviewing for that job. Present yourself in the best possible light you can. And here's another side note. Please drop the what do I have to do to stand out mindset. Somebody who's not a hiring manager has been feeding people or having people drink that Kool-Aid and getting you to think that you need to do something to stand to stand out. Now I get messages all the time, people asking, what can I do to stand out? And I tell everybody the same thing, nothing, nothing. And I give people the, the I believe I've said it on this show recently too, a stack of 300 resumes, nobody stands out. That the only thing you can do is present yourself in the best possible light. And that's why I tell people audit job postings, look at where your skills, what you bring to the table aligns with what they're looking for and make sure you present yourself in that way. I even told people once before, make sure you have more than one resume. Be willing to customize a resume for the job you're applying for so that it can be in better alignment with what's there. And, and I remember telling some people that once, no, I don't want to do that. Yep. You don't want to do that, but you want to complain that you're not getting a job. Folks, this is a competition and you're going to have to put the work in in order to be somebody who's going to, to be at the top. They, they're going to hire the folks that come across as the cream of that particular crop. So since they're going to hire the person that comes through as the cream of that particular crop. The only way you're going to be the cream of that particular crop is to make sure that you are offering a very strong value proposition, that you're aligned with the requirements that they're looking for. Please keep in mind, it may have a very poorly written job description, so you just have to do your best and then press on from there. But if you don't realize that getting a job is a competition, you won't compete. And if you don't compete, Guess what? You got it. Number four, beware of, and I've already addressed this a little bit, beware of job seeker bitterness. Please, 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 and bias. And bias. A lot of people, have you ever, we've all done it before. You apply for a job. You have looked at the job posting. You see how well you're aligned with the job posting, you're thinking, wow, it's almost like they looked at this job posting and wrote it based on my resume. Man, this is going to be great. And so you're already hiring yourself, basically. But the funny thing is, or the sad thing is, you're not the hiring manager. You, you, are, you are puffing yourself up by way of bias. You're puffing yourself up. You're, you're giving yourself this this unrealistic set of expectations and you're using bias as a pump, so to speak. And, and so now you are becoming more and more and more confident that you're going to be the match for this role. Folks, you have no idea. <laughs> so the bias has to be lost 
and you have to be ready to go in and compete. But the bias has to be lost. And, and when you keep getting rejected, and yes, it will happen to and it will happen to you. It's good. There's no question about that. It's, it happens to everybody at some point in time, many times over the course of our lives. And you shake off the, the, the gets let the dust roll down your arm. You get up and you go after the next job. You don't allow what happened in one job seeking situation impact you when it comes to another. You just get up. You fall off that horse. You get up and you move along. That's it. But don't allow job seeker bitterness to overwhelm you. A lot of people do, and you're putting yourself in a bad position. Number five, resist the urge to be hypersensitive. I'm going to read part of this as it appears in the actual blog post. Lots of new and aspiring UXers don't realize, they have no idea, that it takes a certain set of personality traits to function and excel at UX. Uh, Those of you who have never heard my episodes, that series, a very long series, actually, idea called So You Want to Be a UXer, it actually spends time talking about those personality traits. So if you haven't heard that, please, please check that out. But there's one particular trait that this one, this tip focuses on that will exclude you. And it's that of being hypersensitive. When people hear something critical, they take it personally. When they get critiqued, they get upset. They begin to think that it's negative. They begin to think that people are being quote unquote judgy. Uh, One of the things that I talked about in another blog post, folks, guess what? You, You can't get concerned about people being quote unquote judgy because guess what? UX is a judgy discipline. You're going to be judgy or you're not going to be good at UX work. You may have a position. You can have a title. A lot of people do, uh, but they're not willing to be quote unquote judgy. So they never give the input that's needed to really drive the projects that they're working on. But at any rate, please resist that urge to be hypersensitive. Don't take things the wrong way. Uh, hypersensitive people, again, reading from the blog post, they hear things that they don't like and things they can't relate to, and they have a tendency to do uh, one of a number of things. They t- again, they take the statements personally, and they respond with hostility, not good. They interject things that the person didn't really say, not good. They get offended by the tone being used, and then they dismiss it, and or they assume and inform others that the person who had something to say is actually against them and blocking their progress in UX and that everybody should avoid them. Folks, this stuff is happening a lot. And a lot of the people who say that they're not getting jobs and complain about it actually have this personality trait and don't realize that's actually, if this is you today, that's holding you back. So we're adults. Let's face it. Let's own it. Ah, you know what? Darren's right. I have been hypersensitive. Let me take that stuff that I hear with a grain of salt going forward. People are saying things that actually try to help me. I've talked to people before who actually overcame this. Some of them became directors, UX directors. Some of them are senior UXers now. Some of them are principals now. But there was a time in their career where they were the hypersensitive folks. They did take things the wrong way. They did interject meanings and statements that nobody made because they just didn't like what was being said. But they eventually took a look 
at who they really were. They took a look at how they responded. They applied that emotional intelligence that we all need to be successful in UX, and they were able to overcome that. And today, they're experiencing success. There are people who appear to be experiencing success today, but actually have the same trait. It's a matter of time. Please don't be that hypersensitive person, folks. It does not help, doesn't look good on anybody. Well, the next one, number six, was what can you do to stand out? I forgot it was actually on this list, so we've already covered this one. Folks, you can't do anything. You can't do anything to stand out. Uh, That mindset, reading again from the blog post, it's a detriment to the company, the potential team, and to the discipline as a whole. Stop trying to stand out and be the best you. That's what you do. Spend your effort and your energy there. Number seven, and this is associated with entitlement. Please remember that nobody owes you anything. Nobody. Nobody. Everything that you get, you're going to have to earn that. You're going to have to earn it. A lot of people will say that, you know, I just need somebody to give me a chance. And I understand what you're saying with that. And I remember when I was given a chance, but I wasn't going in there saying, I hope somebody gives me a chance. Nobody owes me that. The business is trying to make money. They're not running a charity. Even if they are running a charity, it's still a business. But they're not here to just give away jobs for the sake of giving away jobs. And that's where that bias kicks in again because we want the job so bad and, and those kind of people only see the things that keep them from getting the job as some type of a, um, a professional crime, if you will. No, nobody owes you anything. Make sure that you're working for everything that you get. Make sure that you put forth the appropriate effort. Effort, huh? <laughs> Say it right here. Make sure you put forth the appropriate effort, and you're going to be better off for it. Uh, I even in my comic strip recently, I I made a joke out of something where people will actually send me their resume, a link to their portfolio. They barely say hello. I don't know them. I don't have to do anything for anybody. I do the things that I do because I'm being kind and because I care. But some people just take advantage of that. And, and it's almost like they just, they take it for granted and they'll send you their their resume and their portfolio. Hey, so can you take it? When you, when you got a chance, can you take a look at this? You Here's another bonus item that's not on the list. Please respect the time of people who are willing to mentor you, who are willing to help you Folks, we have families, we have jobs, we have other responsibilities, we have lives, and people approach us, not just me, I know other people, this happens to, they approach us as if we don't have any of these things, almost as if we live to serve them. That's the person I never want on my team. I repeat, that's a person I never want on my team because there's a bit of a problem going on, and I've said this before too, Narcissists don't make good UX folks. Did you hear me? Narcissists do not make good user experience professionals. And when you see people that everything that happens is about them, there's a problem waiting to brew. And if you bring that onto your team, it's going to manifest itself in a different way with the team. But it's going to be the same thing, but it's going to be detrimental to the team. So, no. Nobody owes you anything, folks. Please know and understand that. It will help you to strengthen your work ethic, and it will help you to put forth the effort that you need to be successful. Number eight, there are factors beyond education required to get 
a job. Please know and understand that. You so so you went to let's say you went to a boot camp. Let's say you went and got a master's degree. Let's say you graduated from an undergrad UX or human computer interaction program. Uh, let's say that you went to Cornell and you finished that that program that they have, the certificate that they have there. That's education, but folks, what about your soft skills? What about your interpersonal skills? What about your business knowledge? So so there are other things that are going to play into any individual getting a job. It's not just the education. So let's keep that in mind. Number nine, this one, I almost wish this was either the first one or the last one. I refer to this as a superpower. Please embrace the power of following instructions. Remember when I said earlier that I spent some time in the past helping entry-level people to get hired and and being on a team that was hiring entry-level UXers. When I worked at one company, some of you may have heard me tell the story before, either here or somewhere else, where I posted information about the entry-level position to LinkedIn. We were hiring two entry-level people at a company I used to work at. And I said, I, I posted instructions. Here's the link to apply for the position. Please send me a note and let me know if you're interested. And I will do what I can to see to it that you get an interview. I, I, mean, I said something to that extent, not my exact words, but I did ask people to apply the, the, the most important part uh, parts. And I asked people to make sure that they dropped me a note because we had a referral system. And when I put somebody in the referral system, the people that that folks on the team referred were getting uh, were getting the first looks. It wasn't a guarantee that anybody was going to get anything, but they were going to get the first looks because they took who we referred as as uh, 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 somebody vouching for you, to, at least to some extent, on your behalf. So I, I post this information to LinkedIn, and I'm thinking, okay, great. There's going to be a lot of folks who are going to be excited to see this. And I my LinkedIn inbox was just overrun with messages and I got these names and I put them into our referral system and I'm like, okay, make sure you apply. And uh, I never in my life, I got so many messages from HR who went to look up the person's application and they never applied. I gave people instruction. I just did it again this week for a different position different hire man, hiring manager at the company I'm working at now. And I said, hey, here's the instructions. Please do these things. Go to the site, look at the job posting, analyze it, see if you're a fit. If you're a fit, by all means, apply. And good luck. I didn't ask anybody to contact me. I didn't tell anybody, let me know if you have any questions. Nothing. I got this, I get this plethora of responses from people that are completely, that they are not in alignment with the instructions. And then when people would write me sometimes, I would just say the same thing that was in the post. People say, hey, here's my, here's my, my portfolio and here's my resume. Uh, let me know if you think I'm a fit. I already told you to evaluate yourself to see if you're a fit. I'm not even a hiring manager. I share opportunities on a regular basis and I was doing it again. It just so happens to be at the company I work at. But People won't follow instructions. And here's the thing. How good of a candidate you think you're really going to be, please, everybody internalize this. How good of a candidate are you 
If you can't follow the simplest of instructions, it's, it's amazing folks. So please embrace that. Think of it as a superpower. Think of it as a superpower. It will take you a long way. Do what people have instructed you to do and you'll find the doors will fly open in time. Number 10, please note, there is no such thing as a gatekeeper. Now did you suppose there are no gatekeepers blocking your path to a job. Nobody is sitting at a company going, you know what? We got to do everything we can to stop all these new UXers from getting in here. Nobody anywhere is doing that. And it's amazing that people go around telling folks this. It's not true, folks. It simply isn't true. I will tell you this, though. You know who is being blocked? People like me. So if you think it's tough now, as I said earlier, wait till you actually get some experience under your belt and watch and see what happens. So, so just so you're aware. And here's your little tidbit on gatekeeping. Again, gatekeeping is not about blocking and keeping anybody out. Gatekeeping is about advocating for quality. So if, you, if you're one of the people that believes gatekeepers are bad and you believe this would really is an urban definition of gatekeeping, that's not going to help you to grow in the discipline. And you're going to end up rejecting and, 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 and disrespecting people that you should be embracing. So please don't do that. You'll end up embracing some people that you should be running from because there's a lot of influencers out there. Some of them have been doing UX for a long time who actually share the same misguided urban definition of gatekeeping, and that's actually holding people back. Everybody who believes those definitions is being held back. So please, please be careful. Next. No matter how good it might be, folks, please know and understand your portfolio isn't magic. It, it's Portfolios are a necessary evil that basically came along when people didn't understand how, you know, how do we, how are we going to evaluate these people that are doing this information architecture work or this UX work? Well, you know, we got portfolios from the, from the visual designers. Maybe we should get portfolios from these people too. And that's how it began. And so, you have all these people. Remember, again, I mentioned there are UX maturity level issues. People don't know how to hire. Guess what else they don't know how to do? The vast majority of the time, they don't know how to evaluate portfolios. And then the people going after the jobs are bringing together a portfolio that looks like they're visual designers. So that's not good. If you're putting together a UX portfolio, it should tell your story. It should be succinct. It should not be overly wordy. It should explain what you contributed to the job, not not your team. Don't put pictures of your team in there and things like that. It, it, and you're supposed to talk about who you are, but the only companies that, that go past the resume, the resume gets you the interview. That's an old business basic. The resume gets you the interview, the portfolio. When Once they get to the point where they're evaluating you, yet then it'll be more important. And that's all on average. There are some people who bypass the resume and go straight to the, they go straight to the portfolio. Those are usually smaller companies, folks. I don't even care what's in your portfolio. I'm a hiring manager. I don't care what's in your portfolio. I, I'm, I'm trying to see who you are. A portfolio just says what you did. It doesn't tell me what you're going to do for me. And, and a lot of times portfolios, it, uh, people when people have a lot of pretty content, they didn't tell me what they did from a UX perspective anyway. And most UXers portfolios are pretty. 
So it, it's really sad. But in any case, your portfolio isn't magic. And I don't care how somebody responds to it. Some people may respond to your portfolio like it is magic. Well, then they just, that means they don't understand what's going on with portfolios either. So portfolios aren't magic. Might as well uh, change your currency the way you're valuing that because it's, uh, it's, not, it's not what people think it is. Be ready to lay down your ego. Uh, visual design, looking at that for a moment, is a discipline that does revolve around ego. And people create designs and they are married to their designs. It's their baby. In UX, we design things based on the needs of the user, the needs of the business, and in conjunction with any constraints that have been identified. So this is what's important. This is what's critical. And so when somebody doesn't like what we recommend, uh, then we, we tweak it or we move on to the next iteration or the next idea. But your ego, you, we, and we have to learn this. We don't come out of the womb like this. We, we have to learn this. We're not, that's not, it's fine. If, 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 if it gets rejected, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and let's do something else. Let's, let's try to do this a different way. But ego is not a part of it. For visual designers, it is, which is why people who transition into UX from the visual design world have to learn how to sever their ego from their work, uh, which is harder for them because they've already been going the other direction 100 miles an hour. So make sure that you understand that UX is an ego-free discipline when you operate at the higher level. So keep that in mind. Number 13, we're going to talk about a mentor, the best path. We talked about this recently in the series that we did on demystifying UX mentoring. We talked about the fact that the best, path, the best path to finding a mentor is actually organic. Mentoring services, for the most part, do not offer any value. There are some that do. I have called them out before. But the most popular ones out there that I have seen, it's all about the people who created them, and it's another form of UX celebritism, not only for the people behind the organization, but the people who sign up to be mentors. So I, I know a few people who who do mentoring through those organizations and they're doing a good job and they know how to do things the right way. But in general, the best way to find a mentor is something that's just going to happen. You're just going to encounter somebody and, and that person is going to, they're going to, to feed into you what you need and a relationship comes forth naturally. And then you, you too, you just interact and you learn from that person. That person keeps building you up. And then now everybody's in a great in a great position, but it's organic. Not going and signing up for a mentor and then you blindly get assigned somebody who may or may not have even met the organization's standards. There are do you know that there are some popular mentoring organizations that say that every mentor needs to have this particular set of skills and then they have a bunch of people who are mentors in their organization that do not have those qualifications, and then they get passed on to you. Does that sound ethical to you? Do you know that those same companies, that there are people who have those skills, who applied to be mentors and were rejected, and their experience dwarfed some of the people who were accepted as mentors by as much as 400 to 500%? Does that sound like somebody you want to mentor? Or be mentored through? I know I wouldn't. So please know and understand that the best path to finding a mentor is indeed organic. Number 14, point 14, 
it's folks, it's not about the 50 jobs you don't get. It's about the one that you do. It is critical for us to be resilient. It is critical for us to be good at getting up when we fall down. Be be diligent, be resilient, be steadfast. This is what we need to do when we're looking for jobs. And when you don't get a job, especially when it's one you thought you were going to get and you thought it was perfect for you and you get some of that little boilerplate messages that, oh, we decided to go with someone else that's more closely aligned. They don't know who's more close. Matter of fact, I, I know a lot of situations where they say that and the person they hire is not more closely aligned. They hired the person for some other weird reason. So it's it's uh, it's not the case. But fact of the matter is, you didn't get hired. You probably dodged a bullet. I dodged a bullet. I know I have dodged many over the course of my career because you thought you wanted to go to an organization and you didn't. And and later on, you find out sometimes about what you actually dodged. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't get that position. So yeah, it hurts. It's frustrating. I know. I, I've been there. I know what it is. I know what it's like. But even looking, even in retrospect, it wasn't about the jobs I didn't get. It was about the job I did get. And, and so that same thing applies to us today. So let's keep that in mind. Number 15, the last one of the regular list here. Getting a job does not mean you have arrived. For some people, it is. For first-time UXers, that's what this list was mostly created for first-time UXers, people seeking their first job. Um, It's just the beginning of your journey. It's just the beginning. You you might have another four jobs in the next in the next eight, nine, ten years, if the if, if that long, because UX jobs they have short shelf lives. Actually, truth be told, people don't tell you that either, but but they do. So, but we never stop learning, we never stop growing. So when you do get that job, if you just got that job, don't get comfortable and stop applying yourself to growth. It is critically important that we do that. And and when you opt into a UX position, you did sign up for a lifelong learning commitment. So make sure that you are about that. So that is the first 15. And I look at the bonus items and I think I talked about some of these uh, already. I think one of them, uh, but let's get through these and we're gonna call it a day. Next one, the first bonus item. Please beware folks of the how I got a job blog posts and videos. Uh, a lot of the people who post that, it's sort of cool sometimes that people are willing to tell their story. Some of these people tell their story, however, and they try to make them broad-based or broadly applicable. They got a job at the company that they work at. It does not mean that the things that they did will work for you. So please take what they say with a grain of salt. If they got hired at at Facebook or Google and you get ready to interview with a startup, the processes are going to be different. The way you interview with people are going to be different. What they're looking for is going to be different. Folks, and just throwing those names out there as an example. So beware of that because it, it a lot of new UXers are being sold false bills of goods on a regular basis and then your expectations are, are, are set up in a way where they're unrealistic 
or they are flat out deceiving and that will create a problem for you. So if you happen to see one of those videos, that's that person telling their story. Please know that it may not apply to you. Don't, don't get sucked up in it that you're going to do things the exact same way. And I've seen people, they tell the story as if, okay, now go out there and do exactly what I did and you'll be able to get a job just like me. And when some of those folks get laid off, they don't come back and tell you about that. But that's, that's another story. So next, next bonus item. Please don't be swayed by job titles. And what do I mean when I say that? Job titles in UX don't mean a whole lot. I don't care what the job title is. Uh, there are people who, they got their first UX job and it says that they were a lead. Sometimes that is their job title. Sometimes I have met people who have said that they were a lead because there was nobody else there doing the work. They, they weren't lead, they were a UX team of one. That doesn't happen to be a job title. They thought that it was going to be sexy to say lead. And, and I even had somebody tell me once when I told them about my career, hey, when you were working in that job, how come you didn't say lead? You should have said lead. Why? Do you even realize what you're saying? You're talking about how you're representing yourself to the entire discipline. I've never had a job, not in, earlier in my career, later I did, but earlier in my career, I never had a job where my title was lead. Your job title comes from your HR department, folks. Just because you type something in on LinkedIn and automatically accepts it, and they don't, LinkedIn doesn't go to your job and confirm that that's really your job title, don't turn around and, and, and say, that, say that you're something that you're not. And, and a lot of companies will let you have these inflated job titles. It's actually becoming popular. A lot of companies will give you an inflated job title instead of the money, and people are going for it. But that's, that's causing issues in the discipline because people have these, these poor expectations or the, the way that they're digesting someone's job titles, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not good for everybody across the board. So job titles are all over the place. Sometimes they're accurate. Sometimes they're not. Don't allow them to sway you. Don't, don't allow these job titles to get your head inflated and 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 then and, and along with that since we got to replace one of these don't get how can i say don't be deceived with regard to these salary expectations some people are coming in especially some of the phd to uxr folks who think that they're going to come in the ux and they're going to get this grandiose salary no no that's not how it works <laughs> that's not how it works People are saying, oh, how, so what do you expect? And then they'll, they'll say, I've heard these stories, many of them, entry-level job, oh, 175,000, what? What? No, for an entry-level, no. And if you go to a company, because I've heard about companies where people get something ridiculous, not quite as ridiculous as what I just mentioned, but they get a ridiculous salary only to lose the job, like within three or four months. It's, it, folks, the, these these overblown job titles and overblown salaries, they're all—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a, a puff of smoke. It's—it's it, it's something that's meant to—it's it, not in your best interest. Please be sober when it comes to seeking these job postings. Next, don't drink the Kool-Aid that that teaches you that you're all set once you've completed your portfolio. Sort of akin to one of the other items we already talked about. It—it's—it's. It's, it's, when your portfolio is done, your portfolio is done. 
that doesn't mean that you're all set and, and you're going to continue monitoring it. And here's the other funny thing about portfolios. People say all the time, I need somebody to review my portfolio. And then you get somebody to review your portfolio. And then you think because one person saw your portfolio and they had some things to say, never mind the fact they had no idea what they were talking about when they were reviewing your portfolio. You think you're all set. Three more people see your portfolios and they all say something completely different. All four of these people are all over the map. That's what happens with portfolios, folks. Nobody knows. I mean, and when I say nobody, let, 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 me, let me rephrase that because that, that, that's going to be a bit ambiguous. A lot of people who are reviewing portfolios have no idea. The only way that you're going to be able to know what to embrace and what to reject, what to take with a grain of salt is to have a greater sense of understanding of that person's qualifications. I heard somebody give a review of a portfolio once that I happened to, to come in on late and I heard it and the things they were saying were grossly inaccurate and the person was just nodding their head. New UXers, which is leading into the next point, new UXers don't have a strong set of critical thinking, usually. Don't have a filter. So this is number four. It looks like I am going to cover all five of these. They don't, they don't have that. So when somebody... You think the person's been doing the work for three, four, or five years, so you assume that they know what they're talking about. Folks, not necessarily. Not necessarily. And I had to, I, I couldn't let that person sit there and be misled. So I had to take a risk, the risk of making the person look bad and throwing them under the bus because I couldn't let the other person get hurt. And I had to let them know this is inaccurate. Don't do this. Don't be overly verbose in your portfolio. Don't include pictures of your team members. They're, they want to learn about you. They don't want to learn about your team members. They want to learn about you. You know, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. And, and, and I've seen cases where people will talk to you about the portfolio and try to give tips. They've only worked at like one or two companies their entire career. So they have a very narrow frame of reference when it comes to trying to help people to do something that will be more applicable to a broader audience. The type, these are the types of things we should know when we excel in critical thinking. So when you're younger in the discipline, again, you don't have the filter. You're going to have to work to develop it really, really fast. Some semblance of a filter and then just continue to build it. And somebody will say, I've had people ask me, how do I develop a filter? You keep learning what the discipline is and what it is not. The, the people who study counterfeit money or who identify counterfeit money never study counterfeit money. They only study legitimate currency and they study it and they know legitimate currency so well, as soon as something doesn't align with or is reflective of genuine, official, authentic currency, they automatically, automatically know it. It's the same thing. So we don't have to go out and learn all the stuff that's wrong. Having a strong filter is dependent upon how well we learn what's right, just as it is with them. So that's, that's the best short answer that I can give you on that right now. Our last bonus item, and we wrap up here, please don't buy into the positive, negative rhetoric, folks. What do I mean when I say that? All these things that I've said here, some people will say, and I've shared these things with people on a regular basis, and somebody will say, well, that sure is a lot of negative stuff. Is it? I don't buy in to positive, negative. I buy into constructive and destructive. 
the thing that you're hearing, is it going to build you up or is it going to tear you down? And if it does tear you down, does it tear you down so that you can build up? Because sometimes uh, the bad building went up and we need to just tear it down and start over. Constructive and destructive is how we should be evaluating things, not positive and negative. You know, when you play around in that positive, negative arena, people don't realize it because they don't have critical thinking. That's on. You're also playing around with something called toxic positivity. I have a blog post on that on Medium as well. And when you play around, you think you're being positive sometimes and you're actually selling your own self a false bill of goods, but because it makes you feel good, you think it's positive. And you're just intoxicated on something that's not true, on some false rhetoric. So please don't buy into positive and negative. The things that I've said, the things I've shared, they will build you up. They will help to guard you against the misinformation, the, the, the malpracticing folks here in the UX world, the folks, the snake oil folks, the folks who will try to take advantage of you, the folks who want to build celebritism off of your, your discipleship, if you will. These things are not good. So if you're aware of them, it will help you to navigate. If you try to put a quote unquote positive spin on these things, you will end up missing something that you needed to see from a critical thinking perspective. And then you'll end up getting hurt. I don't want to see you hurt. I want to see you thrive. I want to hear your success stories. You want to hear your success stories. Uh, how about we all just go onward and upward? How about that? Will that work? All right. I certainly hope so. So folks, that is all the time we have for this week's episode. Thanks again for taking the time to join us today. I hope you enjoyed and get a lot out of the Job Seekers Manifesto with the five bonus items. Uh, we will join you again next week, hopefully with a guest. Uh, I'm going to be working to see if we can solidify things from a scheduling perspective. Uh, but one way or another, we're going to bring you some solid things that you can bank on as it comes to or as it applies to your UX career. So that's all the time we have for today, folks. So until next time, this is the host of the World of UX, Darren Hood, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.